Welcome to the Musical Communication Podcast. I'm your host, Marianne Ploger, and during these podcasts, I'm looking forward to being able to explore all aspects of what it is to be musical, whether that is how we can be more musical as musicians or how we can understand why we love music and why we think it's musical or why it isn't. So we'll be exploring everything from how to perform music, how to listen to music, as well as aspects of music perception perception and cognition. Hi friends, welcome to another episode of the Musical Communication Podcast. My name is Karen and I am your producer. Um, I am sitting here with your lovely host Marianne. Well, thank you Karen. Here we are again. (laughs) Yes, excited for another episode. Um, Before we get started into today's amazing topic, um, I just want to remind y'all if you could please uh, give us a review on Apple Music, five stars, write your favorite thing about the podcast. It really helps us um, get the word out there and more folks to, to find the podcast. So if you're enjoying what you're listening to, feel free to share it on your Instagram story. Make sure to tag Marianne, um, share the Apple link, Spotify, anywhere that you listen to podcasts. Um, it would really, really help us. Um, and of course, if there's anything you want us to cover or any topics you want to make sure Marianne talks about, feel free to always DM us, reach out to Marianne on her website. Um, and we will be sure to record an episode on that. Wonderful. Yes. So today's topic, um, valuing things that endured through time. Mm -hmm. That's feels huge. So you take it away. (laughs) Oh man. Yes. You know, I've been talking about the problem in a way in our culture and how music affects our culture. And I believe that one of the things that's so important for us to remember in this age where we're really going for novelty a lot is what actually lasts. So I've always been interested in the perennial philosophies I'm also very interested in art and architecture that endure. Sadly, of course, music is ephemeral, and so we don't have recordings of anyone from the the Greek era. Yeah. <laughs> At the same time, they were making these fabulous statues and fabulous architecture. So I think that one of the things that I find so crucial is that we maintain a love and regard for that which endures. And my own feeling is that in in musical training, that's one of the reasons it's so important to be studying great works of art in music, so that we're looking at the pieces that have endured for 300 years and um, what they have in common. What do they hold that we can learn from? What patterns exist? What are the ways that composers are able to hold our attention in time? So that's kind of what I think we want to be focusing on more and more in these days. Yeah. And I know we've talked about some of this stuff in the podcast before, but how do we, how have we gotten to a place where we're okay creating things that don't have staying power? I think that novelty again is a huge thing. The desire of all human beings to do something unique, to leave a legacy. All of us hear about that. The desire to be paid attention to, to not Mm -hmm. be ignored in a, world in which there are more and more and more people. I think all of us are sensing, and boy, social media really brings it out, (laughs) uh, how many people there are out there, and that we're now competing with a lot. So I think that the desire to be novel, to stand out is huge. Mm -hmm. And I think that, sadly, in many ways, the thing that attracts us are things that are waking up our limbic system Mm -hmm. and what I mean by that is awakening our fear our 
lust, our desires, our interest. Mm. And so the things that are interesting are what we are attracted to. I mean, look at that, the gawking when you, um, sadly, when we're on the highway, what do they mm -hmm. call it, rubbernecking here in Nashville, <laughs> when people are gawking about an, over an accident. Um, and it's natural. It's a natural thing that we're attracted to that. So we tend to be very much drawn to that. I, I'm amazed when I'm watching new programs coming out on Netflix or Prime or whatever it is, these media outlets, it's astonishing. They come out with so many programs. But of course, what you'll notice is the thing that attracts us so much is, is the excitement. It's not boring. It's mm. interesting. So I believe that people who are really good marketers understand that, that you have to have things that are really interesting. Mm. And it's been one of my bugaboos is that, yeah. you know. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. It should be a sticker. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, is that novelty has got a, there's a danger to it. And that is that it can be like that little twig that grows on a, a beautiful tree. And you know what, that little twig that goes out there, oh, look at that beautiful new twig. And the problem is it's so ultimately not integrated that it's liable to just break off or fall off or whatever, not survive. So being connected to the trunk, being connected to the source, being connected to that which endures is very important for artists, I believe. Yeah. Yet it's challenging. I mean, who wants to be competing with Beethoven? Who wants to be competing with Brahms? <laughs> who wants to be competing with the biggest bee of all? Johann Sebastian Bach. So, <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's uh, a little frightening. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. So do we, f okay. So as a marketer, I completely understand what you're saying. And, and I do think that there are ways and I mean, it's a whole industry to, to promote things, whether they're good or bad like that. That's, mm -hmm. I agree with that. Um, as far as like, you know, art and creating new things and, and how do you have that discernment around the quality of something? Is it a systematic thing where we're missing the boat at the beginning as far as our education? Is it something that do we kind of go astray at some point in our career? Like, like, where do you think we kind of lose that curiosity that distracts us from creating great art? It's a very profound question. I think that the source of the problem is we're not listening to ourselves deeply. Mm -hmm. We're not listening inside from the time we're kids. Like, how does this music make you feel? And really paying attention to that. Uh, so I've spoken in a previous podcast, and I'll speak about it again, these sort of levels of consciousness that I think we have, you know, from the very physical, to the, through the mental, intellectual, and then up into the spiritual and other higher realms. So my own feeling is that you could listen to almost any piece of music, and if you really pay attention to your body, you can kind of tell where it is. Mm -hmm. So... There's a book called Power Versus Force by Hawkins. It's a really amazing book because it talks about these different specific levels of emotions. Like when I say this word, just kind of notice if you're driving, don't pay too much attention <laughs> to this. But if I say the word greed, feel what you feel, greed. Think about that. Now, if I say the word honor, 
you can perhaps feel there's just a different tone to those two words. But I'm telling you, music is the same way. You can listen to a piece of music and tune into it. And as Hawkins would say in Power Versus Force, he was the developer of kinesiology. If any of you have used that to determine where you're ill, it's basically that you test strong in your muscles. Mm -hmm. If some idea, some medicine, whatever, is, um, is good for you. But I think that this is the same thing. He's even done it for music where he can test what creates the greatest strength in, in people and doing it uh, somewhat casually. But for example, the Paco Bell Cannon test is like one of the strongest pieces in terms of the highest level energy. And look how much we love that piece. Hmm. So wow. I think that if we listen to a piece, we can kind of sense in our, where is that hitting us? And I think for all of us, the unifying force is the lower and lower energies. All of us share those lower energies, but we also share those higher ones. I believe all of us possess the full gambit of potential of all of those different states of being or whatever you want to call them, emotions. I think Mm -hmm. they're states of being or actions. So I think if we would listen to music from a young age and be tuning in to where is that putting you, we would become more self-realized instead of depending on an education to tell us intellectually the music we should like and that goes for the what i consider great literature everyone should listen to it and see well how is that for you you know where what are you feeling but listen to it with an open just awareness may mm-hmm. i say so i think that that's what we notice in things that endure is that they have the the most from the bottom all the way up through the top they get you at a very visceral physical level there's something exciting about the rhythm there's something compelling about the uh, harmonies there's something amazing about the melody and it 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 hits the full gambit of those emotions this is like to me shakespeare for us Mm -hmm. english people you know any of those monologues are great works of human thought and it can be expressed by a comic character (laughs) puck it can be expressed by juliet it can be expressed by romeo and any of the other heroes and uh tragic ones though they may be and that they're very profound but Mm -hmm. to me that is what endures so things that just hit you in the gut i wouldn't give it long Hmm. it's not going to make it it's too dark it's not not enough light like a plant or what I might say is delicious but not nutritious yeah, <laughs> yeah for, for sure for the food metaphor <laughs> but you know who doesn't walk into the Chartres Cathedral or Notre Dame uh, as she will be even greater in the future but if you walk in that those cathedrals you're just not <laughs> astonished and to this day architects are like how in the world did they do that so a problem we have today is a kind of an arrogance that because we have technology and we have certain other kinds of knowledge which are enviable and helpful it doesn't mean it's <laughs> that the people in the past didn't have things that were even far greater and i think it's because they were working on sacred principles of mathematics geometry and other things and the great composers are too i mean i'm so certain of that based on my experience that the great composers are great architects but they're far more than that they yeah. are great spiritual people. Ninth Symphony of Beethoven. 
I mean, wow, that's kind of an enlightened work, actually. Yeah. So uh, it has it all <laughs> excitement, but at the same time, it's so moving. So this is, uh, and it's transforming, right? You hear great pieces of music. It's like walking into one of those cathedrals where it's, you feel different by the end of it. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. I love that so much. And it, what you were saying also kind of reminded me about like emotions and you know, the, the work that we get to do as humans to hopefully by the time we're not here, just be as, as close to how, when we arrived on earth, um, and how some of our emotions and, and a lot of the things that we are experiencing day to day, um, are just fleeting Mm -hmm. and we don't really, we we just label them instead of like really integrating Mm -hmm. and and, and embodying who we want to be and how we want to be. So I'm curious in, in your experience, like what can we do in the personal development realm to, to kind of prime and, and prep us to create great work? I think it has to be the marriage of the whole mind. And you know, I would say the intellectual and emotional realms as well, excuse me, as the physical realm. So I think that ultimately it is the ability to make sure that all of those parts, those three parts, the physical, the emotional, and the spiritual, are integrated. And uh, so uh, this is one of those things that I believe happens in great art. So the way to work on this, I think as musicians, we can sometimes get way too much in our head, especially in academic studies. Mm -hmm. You know, you study this note and this note and this chord and this chord, but I wanna just ask, three questions that Keith, my husband, Keith Hill asks, so what? Who cares? And what are you going to do about it? And I think sometimes we don't ask those questions. I think the ones who do get a little peevish sometimes, and they certainly make the professors very nervous. (laughs) uh, Because it's a little bit like a kid saying, but why? But why? Mommy, why is that like that? Because is the answer. Right. So that's a problem. That means that there isn't a connection between the intellectual information and knowledge with what it means, the right hemisphere of the brain, perhaps. So it's not integrating both hemispheres. It's just one. On the other hand, you can get really into meaning and and sensation. I don't know why I do it. Do it. Just do it. It just feels right. And yet it may not be balanced or have integrity or be extremely memorable from a musical standpoint it's simply feelings and emotions it doesn't have structure it's like a building that's hobbled together instead of a cathedral Mm. or some other beautiful building doesn't have to be a cathedral (laughs) don't want too many cathedrals in this world (laughs) we need lots of beautiful buildings though yeah so uh but ultimately that's i think the in in terms of how we actually apply it in music I think one always must be kind of asking, why did the composer do that? If I like this piece, this makes me feel good. What do I like about it? Mm. Do I like the rhythm, the tempo? Uh, Do I like the way the harmonies are, the timing of the harmonies? Why? Why do I like that? What is it? Why is it working? And I think a lot of times we just don't ask that. We just play it. So I believe that it's marrying the left and right hemispheres in our musical training, and I don't think it's been happening. Mm. I think that we go to our music lessons and we do a lot about feeling and playing and nuance and all this stuff, but how much of it is 
knowing it's the fourth scale degree, which is why it's wanting to pull down like this. And it's in a dominant seventh chord, which makes that fourth degree even more, in a way, uh, active. Um, because it's being with the dissonant degree. So in other words, an under an intellectual understanding that goes to meaning. It's this word, happiness, which goes to this emotion, which has this expression, mm-hmm. not happiness. <laughs> so <laughs> right, and that's it. Can't be one without the other. They are married. They have to be body, the mind, the emotions. They have to be one. Uh, they have to be unified, all of them, all the time. And it's hard. Yeah. In an industrial age kind of music education, and education in general, and we've talked about this before, mm-hmm. I disdain that way of teaching. We're not on an assembly line. And, you know, 50 minutes in this class and then change to 50 minutes in this class and 50 minutes in that class. I don't think that's how the great musicians of the past learned. Mm. Sorry, not to say that those classes aren't very valuable, but I think we need to rethink how can we make this work so that we can get the maximum out of music education so that we end up being expressive, self-realized, and humble servants of something much higher. Yeah, yeah. I like that integration. That's a great way of putting it. Um, Besides, you know, integrating the musical curricula a lot better, um, what other classes do you wish we offered? Well, I'm, a practical one I've we've talked about, and I think is very important, is how do you how do you effectively make your life work as a musician? So, whereas there are classes in music and meditation, for example, uh, I think that that needs to be a very important part of the training of a musician, such that they are able to reflect, that there's re- time for reflection and that they tune in to their themselves so it's not just an, a, a course you take you know for but it becomes part of an integrated form of training uh, but i also believe that it's very important to do integrative physical training for a musician mm-hmm. so i'm sounding very platonic here <laughs> no but, i love uh, it <laughs> but definitely Uh, The idea of movement is a very important part of musical training, but it's not, strictly speaking, musical. It's actually a separate branch, it's dance. But how about Qigong, Mm -hmm. or Tai Chi, or ballet, or dance? But to me, that I believe it's an important thing. I wish I'd done Pilates when I was a kid. I wish everyone had done Pilates, Mm -hmm. whether you're a dancer or a musician. Because just learning how to sit for as many hours as we have to sit, we need to know how to deal with our core that's getting lost over (laughs) decades of being on our you-know-what all day long Mm -hmm. and not moving. It has effects on our energy. So what if we get into a practice, as I've been trying to do over many years, incorporating physical movement every day? Yeah. So, I mean, but that needs to be part of it. How do you deal with then the ever-changing real estate that you deal with, the, you know, the media now? How do you deal with running your own life and having integrity? Yeah. (laughs) And universities, I think, want to achieve that. I think that those are things they care about. Mm -hmm. But we have to kind of change our way of doing things from, from what it is, the cookie-cutter approach to 
theory, <laughs> ear training, yeah, uh, history, and you come out with all of these pieces, and you're not how mm. mm-hmm. it's up to you now to integrate it. But we have to start, I believe, to help people to integrate it, all of those things yeah. uh, a little better. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, this has been so rich, Marianne. Thank you so much for, for sharing all the things. Well, thank you, Karen. Um, for those of you listening, if you have any questions or thoughts, feel free to reach out to us and let us know. Um, and we'll be back next week with another episode. Bye.